Good afternoon, everyone. This is Steve Janikowski. I'm joined by Christian Thwaites, Chief Strategist, and Rita Lee, our Director of Research. Hello. Hi, everybody. This call will last 20 minutes, and following the call, a replay will be available. As usual, we'll begin with a very high-level overview of the economy and the markets, and then we will open it up for questions. So it's been a uh, tumultuous three uh, months since our last call. President Trump seems to be mired in political conflict and controversy, not a surprise, of course, with the potential of sidetracking or even derailing his economic agenda. The markets have been patient so far and actually have uh, performed quite well, but will become less or more anxious as the year wears on, especially if it's seen that Trump is not able to push through any of his agenda. And obviously there's a potential for market hiccups if the market starts to lose confidence in uh, the Trump administration's ability to um, push through his agenda. Meanwhile, the economy continues its long and steady progress. And this is, despite what's going on politically, um, people have asked us, this is actually one of the fundamental things that we're uh, that we're optimistic about is that the economy is making steady progress despite the problems with the new administration. Foreign economies and emerging economies are emerging from the doldrums. Uh, Europe, emerging uh, economies are making steady progress. The European and emerging markets have been solid performers this year to reflect this new pro progress. And almost all areas of your portfolio are, are doing quite well. U.S. equities continue to perform well. And foreign equities have been the bigger, big winner this year as these economies are starting at an earlier phase of their recovery. Despite the Fed's stance on raising rates, growth and inflation continue to remain low and bonds are having a very good year as well. I'm going to turn it over now to Christian Thwaites and Rita Lee for a deeper dive into um, the, where we are politically and how that's going to affect the markets and the economy. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk for about 10 minutes, and then after that, again, if you have questions, please press star 9. Uh, but I'm going to talk quickly on five things, first about the rates and the Federal Reserve, and then uh, the Trump agenda and where it stands from the, from the capital markets, then on U.S. stocks and bonds, and then on Europe, and a little bit on international. So let's just start with the rates and the Fed, because we have a Federal Open Markets Committee meeting starting tomorrow, and that will go Thursday, and it's almost inevitable that they will increase rates by about 25 basis points as the federal funds rate. So this is not unexpected. Um, the, the reason they're doing, I think, is because they kind of said they would and they wanted to. The unemployment rate and the inflation are the only real two targets that they can come back to. Unemployment rate is low, but as those of you who've been reading our blog will know that a lot of that is uh, perhaps artificially low with uh, lower participation of the workforce and people exiting the workforce. Um, so we don't think there's as much as pent-up inflation in the low unemployment rate, if that makes sense, uh, as many people do think. But it is, it is low. Jobs have been coming, coming slowly. I don't think they're particularly well-paid jobs. I don't think they're particularly robust or long-lasting ones, but the U.S. jobs machine is trucking along at about 100, 120,000 a month. It needs about 70 or 80,000 just to keep pace with the employment growth, so it, it, it's keeping up there. Nothing great, but it's moving, it's moving slowly ahead. Inflation, it is really difficult to see where inflation is coming from. The inflation that the Fed follows, the PCE, that's private consumption expenditures, about 1.5 to 
the CPI, which is the headline one, uh, the core core rate of that is below 2%, as is today's producer price index. So it's very uh, it's very difficult to see inflation breaking through that 2% corridor anytime soon. So the Fed has tightened. If nothing else, they've just taken uh, reduced the number of excess reserves uh, held by held by the banks. And I think tomorrow they are going to uh, tighten up. What they do uh, later on in the year is really, you know, this, ten this, this uh, tendency to look at the data. So it'll be very data dependent. So what's going to happen to the bond market? Very little. Uh, U.S. Treasuries this year have been uh, started about 2.6. They got as low as 2.16. So if you're 2.16%. So if you were holding a long-term 30-year Treasury bond, you had a 5% capital gain in that. Today, they're at about 220. So this is not a market which is uh, spooked by uh, rapidly increasing rates. What we're seeing is what they call a flattening of the yield, uh, yield curve, where the short-term rates, which is the only one the Fed can control, goes up. But market rates, which is everything after that, three months out of 30 years, is basically saying they don't see a lot of need to increase, uh, increase rates. So we're steady as we go on the bond side. And we're in this... Uh, uh, model, which some of you might have heard before, where it's kind of two, two, and two, two percent growth, less than two percent inflation, and the two-year and the Treasury with a two-year handle in front of it, and really that hasn't changed much, and the recent data hasn't forced us to change that. Which now leads us on to a, a slightly a more exciting topic, which is the Trump agenda. So if you remember, Trump agenda sort of came flying out of the election with with the themes of reflation. Economy is going to get kick-started by a massive, massive amount of fiscal injection. Uh, infrastructure, whether it was walls or bridges or roads or tunnels or airports, but plenty of that to go around if you had the inclination to pass those types of bills. And then tax cuts, both at the personal side and the corporate side. And then finally, D and re-regulation. So those were the big stories coming out. I think now the, the market is basically saying, uh, this guy is a lame duck, and he's a lame duck quite early on, um, but it's going to be extremely difficult to get through some of the more uh, difficult legislative items. That means the budget, which was to dead on arrival, which was um, published a few weeks ago, just these massive cuts to discretionary spending, uh, probably won't get through, won't go through. Um, I'd be very surprised if they look anything like the, uh, the, uh, the budget that they uh, put forward. Um, the infrastructure tax cut bill seems to be, at best, we'll get some watered down version of it in August, which means it may get passed September, October. Um, but it's, it's, it's really sort of unlikely that they're going to be as radical as first thought of. And the big one from an equity point of view is whether corporate corporation taxes would be reduced from 35% to something lower than that, something like 25%, you know, which could happen, and that'll affect more of the private sector than the public markets, because the S&P 500, as some of you already know, doesn't pay anything like a 35% corporation tax. They pay more like 20. And for certain companies, especially growth companies, it's more like single digits. So for them, a reduction in corporation tax literally means nothing. So the Trump agenda is sort of out there, and it, we see it day to day. And obviously, it's got political uh, you know, headlines last week, this week, probably the week after that, and the week after that. But but it's difficult to see that there's going to be a huge impact on the economy. It's a $19 trillion mar uh, stock market, a $19 trillion economy. It takes a lot to disrupt that. And, and so far, um, a lot of the political agenda doesn't seem to have been able to, um, to, to move it off its course. 
that doesn't mean we're sanguine about it or we're, or we're in minimizing its impact, but politics takes a long time, uh, it takes a lot of radical political change to affect a market, and we haven't seen anything like that uh, in, in a very long time. And the Nixon and Clinton ones, when they're bought as examples, have to remember that they took uh, 18 months to two years to transpire, and they didn't affect the uh, stock market uh, very much at all. U.S. stocks, so third item, have been moving along well. We're up about 7% on the S&P. As many of you know, the so-called FANG stocks, which is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Netflix, um, and Google, and Facebook, and I think Microsoft is in there as an honorary member of the FANGs, have been up about 25-30% so far this year. They did have a big correction on Friday, uh, but we're not overly concerned by that. A lot of that was sort of algorithmic driven. Those are still growth stocks which are well worth having, but not having too many of them. Um, the transportation index, which is a lot less glamorous, but that holds things like JB Hunt, trucking companies, EVX, a railway company, and UPS and FedEx, stuff that gets moved around the economy has been pretty flat. Um, so that kind of shows us what industrial America is doing, but there is some certainly some upside on the most growth, growthier parts of the S&P. So we're quite, we're quite confident about the S&P coming in at about 7 or 8% for the year. Uh, and certainly the earnings side is a lot better than it was uh, a year ago. And um, so earnings were up about 13% in the first quarter. I think they'll be up about 8%, 9% uh, in the second quarter. And that's a very good underpinning for the market. That alone justifies some of the pricings and ratings valuations we've seen before anything to do with the political agenda. And, and I think that that's a really good point, Christian, which is the earnings and the fundamentals are actually underpinning the market. Everyone is assuming that the market is completely dependent on whether the Trump agenda gets passed or not. And the reality is the economy is doing actually just fine. Trump has, not, has been a non-event so far. I think that's right. And I think the market is continuing to sort of, you know, enjoy, enjoy the theatrics, but, you know, carry on with the job that needs to be done. Uh, so then we'd like to talk quickly about what's going on in Europe because Europe was not a place to invest in for much of the 2007 till 2016 period. Uh, one reason that is if you look at uh, the, the, Italy, the components of the Eurozone, and by the way, for Europe, for this purposes means uh, continental Europe, ex-UK, ex-Scandinavia, countries which are sort of using the Euro. Um, Italy has been in a five-year recession, only started coming out of it last year. Spain, three or four years. Germany, uh, two years. Remember, the U.S. recession was two quarters. So these, these, these guys have gone through recessions much deeper, much longer, much more protracted, much more insoluble than anything that's been going on in the U.S. And they've started to turn things around. The, the political uh, um, landscape has changed for the better. We just saw Macron at the weekend. He got his parliamentary majority, we saw the French, uh, the Italian uh, uh, Red Star party get knocked out uh, over the weekend. So there's actually more sensible politics going on there than a lot of other places. And uh, and, and European stocks are, uh, are slowly growing. They're having a big turnaround. They've been so out of favor for so long, but there's some very strong, fundamentally driven, financially robust uh, companies and industries which uh, which you can't get access to through the U.S. only. So we've liked the Eurozone. We've also liked uh, some things on Japan, uh, which are slowly getting better through some of the reforms there. And that leads us on to the 
Last point with international, as many of our clients know, we've been, we, uh, we, we increased a little bit our emerging markets exposure last year. We still like that. The reform story in China goes on slowly, but uh, Asia is, is really coming back to life. The, the strong dollar um, reversal has helped them. Things like Korean exports or, or exports, Australia exports, Japan are, are all doing better. And some of these markets are historically and remain quite cheap relative to the US. So, so that's an area which we think we, uh, we, we kind of like the look of. And also the, uh, the, the valuations are based on very depressed earnings from periods of really, really poor economics. So as these economies begin to recover, and earnings begin to recover, which we're beginning to see, you could see a pretty significant ramp up in the markets because they're starting at a much lower base. That's right. And uh, Reader and I looked at this the other day where the S&P is selling on a forward earnings of about 17, 18 times with a big disparity between the, to get to that average. But in Europe, it's 14 times. So, uh, you know, that's, that, that, I don't necessarily think the valuations are going to close in on each other, but it does show that you're actually buying, you know, assets cheaper uh, in Europe on their potential earnings. And the uh, unfreezing of emerging markets also help the European picture quite a bit because they're good big trading partners. Yes, so, um, so that's our kind of quick whirlwind tour through our asset classes. And I think the theme there is, you know, steady, uh, steady as we go. Um, some of the best ideas we think will be away from the S&P, but we've kind of executed on those. We haven't done anything really recently on that. We started to increase Europe earlier in the year, emerging markets late last year, and we're kind of drawing the upside from that. But I think the one area which we just like to point out is that it may be different from a lot of consensus thinking is that, that rates uh, will probably stay low for a while. It's difficult to see the US 10-year treasury breaking through 3%, much as everyone would like that to happen. Uh, on a consistent basis, given the uh, unemployment and the inflation outlook. Christian, what about small com small company? So, yes, domestic small company um, did very well last year. It was up 30%. The S&P, I think, was up 10 or 11. Uh, they've taken a bit of a breather this year. Some of that is because they are more much more domestic focused than the S&P. As we know, S&P 500 companies get about 40% of their sales right. and earnings from overseas. With the smaller company index, that's more like 10 or 15. Uh, so they are a little bit waiting for, you know, clarity on the domestic side, but it, it's it's worth the wait because uh, I think U.S. small companies are typically, a, you know, a, just a, a, a mine of, of ingenuity and, and growth and into entrepreneurialism at its best. And uh, and typically these, these companies do come through, go through cycles of being sort of neglected uh, because they're more liquid than the big, bigger, bigger stocks, but that's a very good time to accumulate. So again, uh, feel free to hit star nine on a question. We do have a couple of writing ones, which, um, which are, which are uh, very good questions. So the first one, I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, since November 8th, US equity markets have boomed due in part to expectations related to Trump's agenda. Now that agenda is on life support, if not dead, that's not my words, but words <laughs> are well put. Why haven't US equity prices declined significantly? What is keeping them up, and even to a slight degree, continuing to rise? And I would come back to what I think we've said, that the, the underlying fundamentals of the U.S. stock market, earnings, dividends, dividend growth, earnings uh, growth, uh, 
valuations relative to, to bonds are all solid. And overall economic growth has been continued, although slow, is still solid. So Trump, the fact that you know, if if the fact that Trump's agenda is not being passed isn't actually changing any of the fundamentals of what's driven the market in the first place. You could argue that there's a small pop that came, we'll call it the Trump rally, and so you could certainly see some disappointment and a correction, but it doesn't necessarily mean it'll derail the overall market. Yeah, and a good example was last Thursday we saw the House pass uh, an act, you know, with an acronym called Choice, which was meant to sort of gut some of the heavier Dodd-Frank deregulation, and the financials barely moved. They had a one-day, 24-hour rally, but I don't think anyone's expecting, you know, financials to go back to the pre-2007 days. There's going to be a lot of appetite to take them there in the first place, including the management and the shareholders of those companies. So, you know, this agenda is 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 something like, uh, you know, you know, big big hat, no cattle. So it's like it's like it's. Uh, you know, lot, lots of promise and lots of uh, nice rhetoric, but until actually something happens, then we'll react to it then. So I don't think anything's built into the price. Uh, there's a kind of a second part of that question, which is what is your outlook for high yield municipal and corporate debt? Corporate debt's easier to address there. Uh, there is a high level of corporate debt, but it's offset by a very high amount of net cash. So why does Apple go to the bond market? It's generating cash faster than the Treasury can mint it. It's because a lot of that cash is overseas, so they raise some debt in the U.S. in order to do the share buybacks or pay special dividends. It's collateralized one for one by cash. So it'll show up as a high level of corporate debt, but in net debt and net cash, you know, observable debt, it, it, it's not a concern. Generally, we like we, we kind of eschew high yield except for a few special circumstances because you get the same sort of returns on the equity side. And the problem with high yield is that you can very slip very quickly down into the uh, you know triple C's and single C's, and then that's that's really dangerous life support territory. Municipal side, obviously, the first hit to municipals back in November was just the difference in the corporate tax in personal tax rates. If you take personal tax rates from 40 to 35, all things being equal, it makes the municipal bond for marginal tax rates marginally lower, and they just adjusted on that basis. But I mean, other than the obvious ones like you know Illinois and Connecticut, and uh, uh, mostly, those. mostly those, but you know California's always uh, been a very strong, robust yeah. municipal market with a much deeper, longer uh, tax base uh, to draw from. I would buy us uh, to call high quality municipal as well, um, especially some of the states that are way more healthy in terms of pension and obligations. Yes, and you've always liked the general obligation bonds, I think, Rita, which, uh, which, which puts you right in the middle of that. And we have a, a third written-in question. How, if at all, are you positioning the portfolio to minimize impact of a black swan event, ray our current political situation, a Trump impeachment, war with North Korea, etc.? And um, that, that's, that's a great question, and I, I think one has to be careful here of putting too much of the portfolio towards a black swan event because that will lead you to, you know, cash and gold and stuff which uh, which isn't isn't made, you know isn't going to move. And a black swan event, by its by its definition, is a very you know small likelihood. But I would say that that's one reason why we've consistently had treasuries and treasury inflation protected securities because. Those are asset classes which which people will move to if they feel something's uh, you know cataclysmic. Yeah, the, the the other thing too, I think it, this is really comes to 
each individual investor, which is having the appropriate asset allocation. So the black swan event may not come for 10 years, and we certainly don't want to uh, miss out on opportunities. So the best, the best way to plan for a black swan event is really a one-on-one -on -one for each individual investor in looking at their asset allocation. So uh, anyone who has a question on that, I think I'm going to leave it to call the financial advisor and have that conversation with them because there's no magic answer to that. Uh, the more conservative, the more protection you want, the lower the allocation is going to be toward risk assets, equities, and other types of risk assets. And so there are certainly ways to insulate the portfolio, but um, given that it's not a high probability event, I don't think we want to we don't want to sit in cash either. Good. Well, thank you very much. Um, again, star nine if you have a question, but uh, thank you uh, for both, both people who uh, sent in those very thought-provoking questions. And uh, we will follow up with this. This will be out on a podcast, and we'll put out our usual weekly blog. So uh, if things change between now and Friday, we'll, we'll, we'll capture it then as well. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thanks uh, on behalf of the firm. Yeah, th thanks, for, thanks for joining us today. And um, if you have questions that you didn't cover, they come up later, feel free to call us. We're happy to uh, answer any questions. And I am now going to read the disclosure. Please <laughs> <laughs> note the information provided in this presentation is for general informational purposes only. It should not be considered individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. The investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making any investment decision. All expressions of opinion on the subject change without notice and react to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance, no guarantee of future results. And the opinions presented cannot be used as an indication.